0: Another pot of coffee is brewing, and as it's quite early, I am only on cup one. Surprise! I may even limit things today so I can get a decent night's sleep for a change. Yes, I do realize that caffeine and sleep don't go together very well. However, now I am starting to seriously experience it, or it could just be my age. Right now, I am enjoying the fact that it's beautiful and sunny, despite the fact that we have been promised rain for the next week. Because we're heading into a bank holiday, so why change the pattern of a lifetime or three? I love days like this, warm with a little bit of breeze, and in the distance the occasional sound of a car. Pure bliss. Not the sound of the car, but the rest of it. All that means is that it's time for the next episode of Being Bookish, I am your host, Ray, self confessed bookworm, film addict, TV show marathoner, hermit, long term depression sufferer, and very honest caffeine fiend. Today is going to be different as though I am talking about a book I have read, my guest is not a friend or a fellow podcaster, but the author. So, though there will be no spoilers, it is going to be a variation on my usual guest episodes. Light the candles, get yourself a fresh cup of something hot or a glass of something chilled, depending entirely on when you're listening and your preferences, of course. And let's get started. And I am joined today by author Stacey Gold, whose latest book, Wild at Heart, was released on the 2nd of May, 2022. Oh, hi, Stacy. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: In a past life, you were a communications director. So before we start talking about the book itself, tell me a little about your previous life as From the book I read, it seems like there are some strong ties to the organization that you did work for.
1: Well, the organization that I worked for was a mountain biking nonprofit, um, and the book is backpacking specific, but I have a a long history of working in the outdoors. Uh, I got my degree in environmental education and resource management, so I spent six seasons with the Forest Service as a backcountry ranger, a river ranger, and a naturalist delivering environmental education talks. Uh, And then I've, you know, been a whitewater raft guide. I've worked in ski shops. Um, I've kind of done all kinds of things. Um, And that was just my last position, was communications director at the Mountain Biking Organization. Uh, But it all... Very much ties in. I mean, there's a reason I write outdoor adventure romance because outdoor adventure is what I love. Um, yeah,
0: it does seem like from your bio, you are a very outdoorsy person. Is there an outdoor sport you don't like?
1: <laughs> um, I don't know that there's one I don't like. There's a few I don't do um, simply because I had an overuse injury to my hands a long time ago, um, actually working as a whitewater raft guide. And running too many trips without any days off. And so that kind of cut out any rock climbing, ice climbing, um, those sorts of sports because it's too much on my hands. Um, and I would say I would never take up any kind of paragliding because I've had a few friends who did it and had their shoots either partially or completely collapse, um, And I find that one a bit too dangerous even for me. (laughs) But I might like it a lot. I'm going to
0: avoid trying it. Yeah, I think my brother, he went to New Zealand a few years ago and he did um, swimming with sharks. And that's one thing I don't, I think that I draw the line at that, though I can see why paragliding wouldn't be the ideal sport at all. So, (laughs) (laughs) what? I'd rather be a little closer to the ground
1: when things go wrong you know that's that's a bit of it and at least with climbing you've got a rope you know if you're paragliding and it goes wrong well (laughs) yeah you're staffed what actually
0: gave you the push to start writing full-time after such a, a wide sort of number of outdoorsy hobbies and obviously working in the industry
1: Um, Well, it was was rather interesting. You know, I'd spent a lot of years as doing work like communications director, writing copy for outdoor organizations, catalogs for REI and all kinds of things. And I had written for outdoor magazines, Uh, but I hadn't even read fiction in a number of years because I had my own marketing firm and I was simply too busy to I'm the kind of person that when I get in a good book, my whole life goes on hold, and I just couldn't do that. Um, And when I decided to close my business, I had some time off, started reading, again, kind of stumbled into the new world of contemporary romance. And then I ended up blowing out my shoulder mountain biking, and I had to wait a while to get surgery on it because I had a frozen shoulder and, and some other things. So I was home on the weekends by myself unable to go play in the mountains with my friends and my husband and I had an idea for a book and I thought well this will be a fun thing to occupy me on the weekends until I'm healed up and about halfway through writing the book I thought you know this is way more fun than writing nonfiction. I should be doing this and uh, that's what I told my husband and so I (laughs) I made the switch
0: (laughs) and he was fine with it.
1: He was the one who originally suggested I should try writing a
0: romance novel about two years before I did it. So, (laughs) That's good, though, to have that kind of support. So you've obviously you've talked about your writing. Tell us about Wild at Heart and what gave you the inspiration for that. I know this is your fourth book, isn't it?
1: It is. It is. I've, I've written um, three novellas that were ski romances um, that are also available in a box set. And this is my first full length. And a lot of the inspiration in general for me writing these outdoor adventure romances is that these are the books I wanted to be reading when I was in my 20s and I was out in the outdoors and I was the, always the only woman in a group of guys And, you know, the people around me were really questioning what are you, especially my family, you know, what are you doing? What kind of career are you going to have? Like, this is not what a woman does, you know, all these sorts of things. And so I really want to show strong women who are capable in the outdoors, who aren't in need of rescue. And Wild at Heart is very much a modern twist on the damsel in Distress trope that we're also familiar with, uh, because instead it's the woman who rescues the guy. And uh, some of my reviewers have started calling him the manzel in distress, which <laughs> I think is really fun.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was one of my questions. In the book, you have Evan as the damsel in distress. I suppose, or the mansel in distress. (laughs) Uh, What made you want to switch the traditional narrative? Because he's not a weak character by any stretch of the imagination. It's more his unfamiliarity with his surroundings that gets him into the issues that he has. So was it to show Jules's independence and strength and provide them with a little bit of balance at the same time?
1: Yeah, you know, exactly both of those things. I wanted to show Jules as being very competent and very much not in need of rescue. Um, So not in need of rescue that she gets to rescue him instead. Um, And it really does shift the balance of power between them, which I found very fascinating. And in the particular scenes that I wrote, also quite funny.
0: Yeah, I, I have to admit, I did laugh a few times reading those scenes. It's like, oh, I've come across you again, and this time you're naked. <laughs> <laughs> right? Exactly. It's,
1: so, you know, I wanted to inject a little humor, but also, you know, really change the balance of power in a way that we don't often see in traditional romance novels. And as a few people who've read it have commented to me, that balance of power does shift and even out. By the end of the book, in different ways, she might be rescuing him physically in the beginning, but in a lot of ways, he kind of rescues her emotionally later on.
0: Yeah. So he's pushing her out outside of her comfort zone and making her question her choices with the decisions yeah. that she made at the very beginning. The scenery and the descriptions in the book are admittedly a few of my favorite things because as much as I am not an outdoorsy person by any stretch of the imagination, I live right by the sea and I also live by the South Downs National Park. So I can, depending on which way I'm looking, I can see one or the other, which is always wonderful. Wow. So yeah, I know it's it's a great location to live in on the South Coast. But one of the things that I found was there was so much description of what they were seeing and the wonder of nature. So have you ever done this walk or any of these walks? Actually, I have done
1: most of the um, hiking that is in the book. There's probably a few miles somewhere, you know, in between some of the pieces because I have not done it all in one stretch. Um, I've done it in a series of different trips, um, couple week-long backpacks, some long weekend backpacks, some day hikes. Um, the southern part of it, I actually did with my skis on my back because I was going to ski Mount Adams at the time, um, which she mentioned See, passing Mount Adams yeah. in the beginning of the book. So I am able to quite literally close my eyes and visualize these places or something, you know, very nearby or very similar in order – to, to try to really bring it to life with all the details that, that render it so viscerally, um, which, which was really my goal is, you know, to make it so that people feel like they're there. I, I want people to know you don't have to be outdoorsy to enjoy this. You can just be an armchair adventurer and get to hike a huge section of the Pacific Crest Trail in Washington along with the characters.
0: <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I felt. I mean, I'm not a walker. In fact, most people, my my family over the Easter weekend were we're going for a walk. My excuse, I don't have the right shoes because really all <laughs> I wanted to do was sit, hi- sit at home and read. <laughs> if I'm being <really laughs> honest, <laughs> I'm one of those people who will sit at home and just absorb books like they're going out of fashion.
1: Which is a lovely thing to be able to do. <laughs> oh, it is.
0: I don't get very much time to do it, but I can devour a book in an evening with no problem which is Yay.
1: <laughs> exactly
0: so do you have a favorite character in the book or a favorite character that you've created in this book and who is it or would it be like me asking you to choose who your favorite pet is
1: yeah it's a bit like asking me to choose who my favorite pet is I mean I love them I love them all for different reasons and what's wonderful because you know Jules. All the characters I write have bits and pieces of people that I've known and met along the way, um, just because that's that's how I do it. They're just the same way. I Even if I was writing a trail I hadn't been on, it'd have bits and pieces of trails I'd been on nearby. Um, and what's wonderful, though, is the way that I like to write, you know, in this story, you've got three women who are really close girlfriends. Yeah. And this is Jules's story. So book two will be Allie's. And, you know, Jules is fun because she's tough and she's sarcastic. She's kind of a smart ass and she really doesn't take any grief. And, you know, Allie is this great typical Southern belle, you think, but with the spine of steel. Um, and then book three will be Bryn's story. So I, I will get to go deeper with all of them, which I'm super, super excited about, um, though I kind of fell in love with John in this book as well, which is Evan's brother. Yeah,
0: I um, liked him. He was, there was something about him that was endearing and I liked the fact that he wasn't about labels and defining anybody, but at the same time he was aware of his place in the family. Yes. Yeah, and I think I, I've actually
1: already had calls to write him a book as well. Um <laughs> And and I had thought about maybe a novella for him when I was writing this, because I would like to see John get his happy ending too. I mean, he's kind of gotten handed a plate of crap um, yeah. <laughs> as well.
0: He's, he's the one that sat there and I'm not going to get involved in this, but I do support you. And he, it seems like he's the confidant for every single member of the family, because he knows the secrets that Evan isn't even aware of secrets.
1: Yes. Yeah, it, it's an interesting because he, he's totally the golden boy, but only because nobody really knows his sec- his own secrets. Um, so I, I find that very fascinating and it puts him in such an interesting space uh, that I, I may have to, after I write all three ladies books, um,
0: yeah.
1: you know, I might have to, to explore John uh, a little bit more.
0: Yeah, Evan's family dynamic is so vastly different from Jules's. They are oh, yeah. complete opposite ends of the spectrum, but they both still have emotional issues because it doesn't matter whether you have money or you have no money and you've been working hard all your life. You still have, especially if you've got expectations piled on you, you still have those issues. And Evan's a perfect example of that. And I think John is as well. Yeah, I
1: agree. And I think one of the things that, wasn't a conscious choice on my part, but I recognized it, you know, at a certain point in writing it is that on the one hand, Evan and Jules are polar opposites, but on the other hand, internally, a lot of their struggles and what they're dealing with are really quite similar. And I really liked the way that that played out because like you said, it doesn't matter what you come, if you come from money, not money, whatever, we're all human beings in the end. And, and we all struggle with finding our way and figuring out how, who we want to be and how to love ourselves and how to love someone else and let somebody love us. And uh,
0: as is the case with Jules, <laughs> with the <laughs> latter.
1: Exactly. Very much so. So I, I find that while they are in some ways quite opposite, there's a lot about them that overlaps and is really similar. And, and I think it's very juicy to explore all those
0: pieces. Oh, definitely. So this is, as you've already mentioned, this is the first in a series with the second and third being about Jules's best friends who are, they do have a, I'd say a minor role to play, but they are still her support system. So do you prefer to write series and did you intend to make this a series when you started Wild at Heart? I did, yes.
1: Um, I often write in series I like. I like writing in this particular way, where the secondary characters all end up becoming the primary character in their own book, because I get to dig deeper into these characters and getting to know them. And for me, the characters are very much, I mean, by the time I'm done, these are real people in my head, or they might as well be. So I like them and I want to spend more time with them. And as a reader, I always enjoy that too, because I'll be reading a book and fall in love with a secondary character. And then I'm like, well,
0: I want to know what happens with that person. Oh, that's happened to me so many times. I've read a book and it's, I want to know what happened with their story. They've just met somebody. What happens next? And when they don't have that story, because the main character storyline has been finished and they've had that neat bow around it and everything else, it's frustrating and that's where fan fiction comes in I suppose I
1: think you're right I think you're right and um while I haven't in a while I used to read a good bit of fan fiction and and maybe that's part of it is I just wanted to be able to keep telling the stories and not feel like oh I'm just done here um I mean, I don't think I'm ever going to go quite as far as like George
0: R. R. Martin. <laughs> I well, expect you know? people to wait 11 years for a book that probably will never arrive.
1: <laughs> well, yes, but that's because it's got 40 characters and this ginormous world and, you know... I love that he explores so many characters, but oh my gosh, I didn't think I could do that as a writer.
0: <laughs> I get, I have to admit, I get confused. I read the first book and my brain, I just couldn't cope with the number of characters. So I ended up starting to write a list of how they were related. Yeah. Because when you read it in an in ebook format, it's not as straightforward as flipping to the front or the back of the book. So I just, I'd reached the point where I was legitimately writing them down. That person's related to that one. Hang on, they're also related to that one. And it became such a convoluted mess that my brain was, no, I I can't cope with this. I've got to stop.
1: I know, I, I was always really thankful when I discovered Tolkien as a teenager. That he had done the Silmarillion because there was an entire book where I could figure out who was who.
0: Yeah, I've got, I have all three of those. I read the Lord of the Rings the summer I was 10. Yeah. My grandfather gave it to me because I complained I was bored.
1: Well, that (laughs) solves that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he thought he would solve it for the entire summer. It solved it for two weeks.
1: Yeah, I think that's about how long it took me. And I was about 10 the first time. And then I ripped through them a number of other times but yeah um, same
0: here those books are uh, that book I read it as one whole book and then I read The Hobbit afterwards so yeah. the films were but it took me less time to read the book <laughs> <laughs> it's so true
1: though I have to say for me at least I was actually really emotionally like tweaked a bit after watching the first of the movies because Peter Jackson so nailed what was always in my head that it actually took me back to being like 10 12 years old and I I, I struggled a bit in internally like I loved it but it it was like it brought up a lot of old emotions I hadn't thought about in you know 40 years
0: <laughs> I think that that's it with a great filmmaker though and the same with a great book as soon as you start to translate these characters into people it is what a it's wonderful but b it can also bring about conflicting emotions when they do something and you take a step back and go oh I didn't think that person would do that
1: yeah you know it's fascinating and that's that's part of what I love in particular about writing romance um Because I think the best romance is really character-driven. Oh, definitely. I love it when characters go rogue, (laughs) you know, as they sometimes do. Um, In fact, John was not supposed to be um, quite the guy that he is. And then all of a sudden, like, he just became not a cisgendered straight man.
0: (laughs) And there was nothing I could do about it. that's it though he developed a personality and I found it interesting in this one that sounds strange but the character I felt who had the redemption arc in this book was Jules and yeah going with the whole switching the expectations and the stereotype it's normally the male character who has a redemption arc in a book
1: yeah yeah but I love I mean it's my favorite thing to to flip it And I think that partly comes as my husband and I have kind of semi-seriously joked for years is that I actually lean more masculine in a lot of ways than a lot of women in the way that I think in my interests, in the way that I approach life. And my husband actually leans a little bit more feminine than many, my husband's great at buying me clothes, decorating the house. I can come out, he was working on the engine of our VW bus recently, he's really good mechanically. But he's out there doing it while singing show tunes.
0: <laughs> well, there's a contrast for you.
1: Right? And so I think that I really like exploring that. And, you know, we're so often, and I, I think in the romance genre a lot, though, of course, it's, it's a very broad and deep and you can find anything in the romance genre, the good, the bad. The, yes. The, the wondrous.
0: I'm recalling a book that I saw during the COVID pandemic that was love with the virus. And it was somebody who fell in love with the coronavirus.
1: Oh, my. Yes. Yes. You can find anything and there's no telling. That could be the world's greatest book or the world's worst book or just meh. Um, (laughs) But, you know, so often, particularly in the traditionally published romances, um the roles have been pretty much set the same way they are in our society but most of us don't live according to those rules and those roles we're we're more complex than that so i like to explore that and to flip those things on its head it's it's kind of my favorite thing to do in writing these <laughs>
0: You said that you can get absolutely absorbed in a book if given the chance. And obviously, I'm guessing that romance is one of your favorite genres, though likely not your only genre, because that's the thing. I think romance gets a really bad reputation for some reason, when I think recent surveys showed that 60% of novels have a romance element in them. Even novels like Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code has a romance element to it, which is... It's a bizarre book in itself. <laughs> <laughs> so who would you say is your inspiration when it comes to the little tweaks that you make and how you actually start the writing process?
1: Well, you know, there's definitely a few books that informed this book. Um, Cheryl Strade's Wild was definitely um, a bit on my mind. When writing this.
0: I got that kind of vibe when I read it. I have to be honest. It was one of the first ones. My my immediate thought was. First off. This is the wild movie with Reese Witherspoon.
1: <laughs> yes. Exactly. But gender flipped and add a guy and make it a romance. Exactly. Um, but then there's some other authors. Um, that I. You know that I absolutely love. Because of my background. Um, my my training is in, in nature writing definitely comes out in my books so you know i've i've certainly read you know most of the the nature writing greats and you know i've i've read the monkey wrench gang and gathering the desert and tinker at pilgrim creek um you know so many so many different books like that, and and that informs it as well. Um, and I think uh, Bill Bryson's A Walk in the Woods.
0: Yeah, Bill Bryson's a, done some fantastic books that you can just dip into.
1: Yeah, and I mean, his books are always so fun, and I often think a lot, if, if you've ever read A Walk in the Woods, there's a scene, oh, I don't know, a third of the way in, you know, he and his buddy are going to hike the Appalachian Trail, neither of them knows what they're doing. His buddy is a real interesting character, and there I don't remember how far into the hike, and his buddy's just like, I'm done, and starts just jettisoning things out of his pack all over the side of the mountain, like things he's gonna need, you know. (laughs) So, so there was certainly you know a little bit of of that book that I took some inspiration from as well, um, that I, I find really kind of fun. Um, and then the other book that I often think about, um, and of course I'm, I'm spacing the author's name off the tip of my tongue, but it will come to me. But Prodigal Summer, um, is a beautiful, beautiful book by Barbara Kingslover. And one of the, it, it focuses on a lot of different main characters, but one of them is a woman basically living alone in a cabin in the woods. So, um... And she's a, if I remember right, a biologist for, you know, a wildlife biologist out there doing survey stuff, but, you know, so there's little bits of lots of these different things that kind of inspire, uh, and inform my work.
0: What about romance authors?
1: Romance authors. Um, the first romance author I, f- I ever read that I fell in love with and not all her books are romance anymore was Colleen Hoover, um, I love Serena Bowen's work, and I don't even like hockey, and she writes almost all hockey romance, and I could give a squat about hockey, but I love her writing, and there are certainly some aspects of that that informed um, this book as well, Um, and then there's a book by um, an author who's actually become a friend of mine, Christina Mitchell, wrote How to Stay, and um, she doesn't have a lot of books out, but oh my gosh, that book, oh. It just is amazing, and it's about a rock star going back to her hometown and basically a second-chance romance with the the guy she left when she went off to pursue her dreams. But it's another one where the woman is very much the one with the power.
0: Yeah, because that does seem to 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 be a twist, doesn't it? Normally it's the, the, the man who has gone off to find his dreams as a rock star or an actor or... A businessman of some form or other, and the woman's left behind, and that that tends to be the theme in the majority of Hallmark movies. Funnily enough, yes, it does.
1: (laughs) So, of course, I gravitate towards everything that does a twist or a flip on it.
0: (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. I think that sometimes, especially as we've talked about it briefly, but that's something that fan fiction does. It places the minor characters at the center. And expands their world and makes them the protagonist rather than the sidekick. And I think that's what I like about that, that particular style of writing. I like it when it's not the norm. I mean, I, I will happily admit that the majority of my bookcase, at least in here is um, Joanna Lindsay. But I'm a child of the 80s, as in I was in teen in the 80s. So that was, that really was pretty much all that was available. <laughs> Unless you right? look at Jackie Collins and Jill, and Jilly Cooper and Barbara Taylor Bradford and Judith Krantz, that's pretty much all you had. It was the historical stuff. But now you have the authors, as you've mentioned, like Colleen Hoover, and you've got Stephanie Lawrence and so many other authors that have sort of started releasing books in the last five, maybe 10 years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sky Warren is another one who does some real interesting stuff that's out of the norm and pushes boundaries and um, she rarely disappoints. And pushing boundaries
0: (laughs) doesn't have to mean aliens and psychics and witches. It can mean any, it can mean just a twist on what is expected
1: exactly our normal taking our normal societal conventions and turning them at least on their hip if not their head
0: <laughs> i think that that is always a good thing though and that is what i enjoyed about the book was the fact that there was that just juxtaposition you had the male character who wasn't completely helpless but he was in a situation that was unfamiliar and it was the female character who was capable and guided him albeit relatively reluctantly at first.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think at first he would have been more reluctant to accept her help, except he put himself in such dire straits he didn't leave himself a lot of choice. (laughs) Yeah, he
0: did seem incredibly reluctant. No, I'm fine, I'll go on to the next place. And he's sopping wet and his tent's not working and she's offering to help him, but not asking for anything in return. When... If a man were in the others, if a man or the shoe was on the other foot, would it be the same? Yeah. Uh, I certainly think that
1: as a woman, most of us would be wondering what we were supposed to bring in return.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's what I found quite comforting about their their relationship was the fact that there was no expectation on either part. They had the thought but they didn't act on anything when they right. weren't willing or ready.
1: Yeah. There was no pressure.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: and, and I think for a lot of us women, we deal with a lot of expectation around sex all the time.
0: Not only and sex, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I just, I just want to write books where, where the characters feel safe in their relationships.
0: And, and, and maybe they, equal.
1: Yeah, totally. Because I think you need an equal partnership to have a happy and successful relationship in the long run. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, yeah, I really try and and balance it and make sure that, sure, I mean, it's always, it's a bit like in my book, the rule with jealousy is it's fine to think the thoughts, but don't act on them. And it's the same thing when you're attracted to somebody. You know, it's fine to think the thoughts. It's a different thing once you act on them, and you need to make sure that the other person is truly receptive before you do.
0: It's that whole question of consent.
1: It really is, and I think consent in romance novels is sexy as
0: hell. So, but it's only uh, become a thing in recent years. I, yeah, I find it. Absolutely. I find it. It sounds strange, but. The one instance I find consent frustrates me, and this isn't consent as a specific thing, in historical romances, because it doesn't seem to fit. I
1: know, and it's so tough, and a lot of it is because, you know, when romance first took off, and it was all historicals, as you mentioned, and a lot of the whole bodice rippers, as they call them, Yeah, women weren't supposed to like or want sex. So the only way to make it okay was to make it almost rapey. But then the woman just decides that she's so overcome by the manliness of this guy and what he does to her that in this instance, she'll open herself up to him and that's okay. Um, but times have changed and, you know,
0: <laughs> women like to get laid too. So. <laughs> that's it. I mean, Jules is not, backwards and coming forwards when it comes to what she wants but she also seems confused and I liked that vulnerability about her because that was her main cause of cause for concern and her main issue was the fact that she wasn't ready for anything more than what she'd previously experienced
1: yeah yeah and I I mean I don't know I've been through that kind of thing personally when I was younger, um, you know, and I, I think a lot of us have, it's, you can be physically vulnerable and you can be emotionally vulnerable and those are very different and they don't always have to go together, but they can.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think that, that was the big take home for me was the fact that they, they provided each other with support and strength, but there was no pressure to do so.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they both do it just because that's the people that they are, and they want to support someone that they like and care about, and they want the other person to be happy and healthy, whatever that looks like, whether it involves
0: them in the end or not, you know? (laughs) Exactly. Well. This has been seriously interesting because I, I love talking to authors about their process and where they get their ideas and their inspiration from. So where can people find information about your books and where can they find you on social media?
1: Yeah, um, you can certainly go to my website, which is stacygold.com, S-T-A-C-Y-G-O-L-D. Um, and you can find me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram as author authorstacygold
0: fantastic and of
1: course my book is available on all major online retailers so and
0: when is when is the next one coming out
1: well I'm editing it now (laughs) so I'm hoping for um q1 of next year possibly sooner I'm not the fastest writer but there's a lot of complexity and layers in my work and it just takes me some time to get it right
0: yeah fast doesn't always mean good in fact fast very rarely means good yeah
1: <laughs> but unless you're running a race it's really not
0: <laughs> yes unless you want to beat your same bolt fast is not good
1: <laughs> yeah exactly at least not for me I'm a tortoise writer and that's okay
0: <laughs> I th- I'm I'm a tortoise writer as well I'm not a tortoise reader I wish I were sometimes because then I could stay with the book for longer
1: <laughs> I'm the same I know people are like that book looks too thick I'm like thick book give me the thick book it will last longer <laughs>
0: How long? I have got a week. How long do I need to read this? Oh, two days. I need another one.
1: Yes, exactly. That is the beauty of the Kindle nowadays, though, and they're like, would you like the next book in the series? Yes, please.
0: <laughs> yes, that's why my um, bank balance doesn't like me right now. <laughs> Yeah, I understand this problem. (laughs) I'm glad I'm not the only one. Well, thank you ever so much for joining me, Stacey. This has been fantastic. And I really look forward to the next book when it comes out next year, unless it comes out earlier, obviously. Which I'm
1: hoping for, but I make no promises.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the thing. We're so far through the year already that if it comes out at the beginning of next year, it comes out at the beginning of next year. Exactly. That's it. (laughs) But thank you so
1: much for having me. This has been such a delightful uh, discussion.
0: My pleasure, and thank you very much for coming on. (laughs) I'm wishing you the best of luck with that typewriter. (laughs)
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a wonderful day and happy
0: reading. (laughs) Thank you.
1: Bye. Bye bye.
0: Believe it or not, it's been a few weeks since you've had a reading update from me, so this week you're in for a treat, whether you want it or not. I have had one of the best months of the year as far as reading is concerned. Granted, a number of the books I've read have been rereads from a few years ago, inspired by a new book that was released at the beginning of the month – However, I was also introduced to books that will now be added to the favourite shelf, revisited a book I haven't read in over 20 years, possibly even 30, and discovered an author I probably won't read again. But as always with books, it's a personal opinion, and I wouldn't like to think that anyone is swayed to avoid an author by my reviews. I would much rather you looked to the positives I picked up on and gave it a chance, Because you won't always agree with me. Strangely, a perfect example of this comes from TV shows. Specifically, the musical episode of Buffy in season 6. So many people actually loved it, were raving about it. It's won awards, people hosted events to watch it. I think at one point it even had a theatre viewing or two. But even after re-watching it, I didn't like it and I still don't. Granted, there are a number of episodes I don't like, especially in the later seasons, but this one sticks out in my mind because I know so many people adore it and think that it was the best thing since sliced bread, and I really don't. (laughs) Anyway, back to the reading and less about opinion. This month I started in a really strong position, eight days in, four books read. I have slowed down a bit, a lot of stuff going on in the world outside books, unfortunately, but I am halfway through books 15 and 16, and two days of May are, at present, left. Being honest, I am relieved that I set my target at something that was realistically achievable for me. Last year, I struggled to reach the goal I wanted on Goodreads, and I felt like I was making a chore of it. This year, it's been an absolute pleasure, but you never know what's going to happen. Things can change at the flick of a switch. I'm nearly at the end of my Goodreads challenge for the year, which I set at 50, and even better, I am just two away from reaching my personal goal of 20 new authors, one away if I count a book I am halfway through reading, and we are just about to hit the sixth month of the year. I am just going to keep on reading once I reach my goal. That's the internalised pressure switches turned off. Not that I am not reading for pleasure, because I am, but targets can sometimes make you feel like a failure when you don't reach them. Despite always having a rather large TBR that keeps on growing, I am always looking to add to it. So, if you have any fiction recommendations you would love to hear me talk about or just think I'd like to read, send me an email at not at notbeforecoffeepodcastgmail.com or DM me on Twitter or Instagram and I will be sure to take a look. So, how are things in the coffee household this week? I am tired if that counts for anything. I haven't been sleeping very well and my brain keeps on whirring at a thousand miles an hour for no reason just before bedtime because why not? I can't put it down to the stresses of work because despite being busy, there are no accusations of it's like this because you're rubbish at your job as there have been in previous roles. And I can't see how I could put it down to my home life because I live with a cat who only pays attention to me when I am eating, or she thinks she should be. Life moves in cycles. For many years, you have probably heard the theories on how none of our cells are more than seven years old, that everything ages and regenerates, which makes me wish they had more control over this regeneration and could therefore prevent things like diabetes and cancer from remaining in the system. But the same can be said for certain mental health disorders. And let's be honest here, some of them are disorders, they're not issues, because they aren't caused by external factors such as a partner leaving or a job loss. And I'm not going to denigrate anybody who has experienced that because everyone experiences something and no two people are the same. And believe me when I say everyone who has a mental health issue, disorder, whatever is experiencing something, and it doesn't matter whether one person's the same as the next one, everyone experiences things differently. These disorders can be triggered, but they are always there lurking beneath the surface. Unfortunately, there's nothing you can do about them hitting you in the head with a baseball bat, but support from friends and family can truly help. Having a strong support structure is vital when it comes to depression and any other mental health issues. I know that sometimes it's really hard that you feel like you're alone, as though you will never find friends, meet people, create a life that is outside the overwhelming despair. But it is possible. It's just harder because there's always that nagging voice at the back of your head saying, they won't want to be my friend because of this and this. But there are people out there who will truly accept you for the person you are, with all of those little things underneath the skin that occasionally, or more frequently, eat at you. Take a leap of faith occasionally. And as I say this, I realise that I haven't been out of my flat, except for to go to the office or the chemist. But don't do what I do. Take a chance. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a star rating on Good Pods, Spotify or Podchaser or leave a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Twitter at being and on Instagram at beingbookishpod or you can check out my website beingbookish.co.uk. Well, I need another cup of coffee and to pick up a new book from the shelf even though I have got two on the go. So until next time, this is me saying farewell.